Good afternoon. This is Stuff Central on Cliff Central. I am not Toby Shapshak. Uh, in fact, I am Ben Kelly. Uh, Toby is in Dar es Salaam at the moment, uh, lucky fish. Uh, and uh, this is your weekly uh, show on Cliff Central covering issues around technology and other interesting things that we find interesting. Uh, and I said interesting three times now, so I'll stop saying that. Uh, joining me today is uh, Samantha Perry, who is a freelance journalist, uh, ex-editor of Brainstorm, and general trouble causer, uh, as well as Billy, and I didn't get your surname, Westhausen. Billy Westhausen from Altec, and he's here to talk about Node, uh, which is uh, Altec's uh, nice, shiny new gadget, uh, which we'll be talking about a little bit later in the show. So uh, to, if you want to get hold of us, uh, there is a studio number, which is 861 189 uh, cliffcentral.com on Twitter or more importantly uh, the WeChat official account which is Cliff Central and if you send us messages there we can actually see them on the screen uh, uh, you can also find Cliff Central on Facebook at Cliff Central and on Instagram at, at Cliff Central so uh, normally what we kick off the week the, the show with is we chat a bit about the what's ha- been happening in the past week so maybe Sam if you want to Take off. I'm going to throw you in the deep end here. Yes, uh, I'm good at deep end. Yes, of course. <laughs> it's the only, way, it's the only way to learn to swim. Uh, um, maybe if you can pick, what do you I mean? What, from your perspective, what is the sort of the big news uh, in this in the market at the moment? Uh, I was um, chatting to somebody this morning about HD Voice over our mobile networks, okay. which um, I thought was quite interesting given Vodacom has been showing off its 300 meg LTE yes. connectivity in this week, earlier. This public holiday has completely lost track of what day of the week it is. Um, so maybe first tell us what HD Voice is because I'm quite, I'm, I'm a little bit confused why we actually need HD Voice. I mean, see, that's what I said this morning. I was being interviewed on it for, for a particular news service and I was like, why do we need HD Voice? We have mobile voice, but HD Voice apparently is clearer and better quality and uses a broader range of the spectrum available to deliver voice calls, which is all fine and dandy. But given that our mobile operators seem to battle to deliver even basic voice calls on the spectrum that they currently have, I'm not convinced that using LTE, which is um, really, really demanding from a spectrum point of view, to deliver voice, which most of us don't need anyway because we have normal voice. I'm not entirely sure it's smart, and I think it's just going to chow spectrum and cost everybody a small fortune. Okay, so, I mean, uh, I guess the issue is is that the way voice is delivered now, it's it's essentially circuit-switched. I mean, it's packetized. It's, it's, I mean, packets, it's, yeah. it's a digital signal, but, but they... But it's it's they they're doing voice the same way they were doing it when we had the first cell phones in South Africa. Pretty much, yeah. Two uh, G. Two G. Uh, and uh, if people were paying attention to the, the Apple announcement when Apple an, announced the, the iPhone six and six plus uh, two weeks ago, yeah, uh, they would have noticed that Tim Cook did speak a bit about. I think it was Tim Cook, maybe one of his minions. One of the, the execs spoke a bit about uh, doing voice over LTE. Yes. Uh, and being able to connect your voice call over your Wi-Fi at home, walk out of your house and out of range of your Wi-Fi signal, and then it seamlessly hands over to the LTE network. Yeah. Now, I guess if you, they may be calling it HD voice, which makes makes people think that the, the only reason you have it is because uh, it's better quality. But in fact, the ability to seamlessly switch between one network and another network 
uh, and not drop the call might be the more important thing in that. Yeah, because Wi-Fi doesn't hand over and LTE doesn't do voice or SMS. Yes. So getting around that with HD voice would be interesting. Um, uh, yeah, I had probably need to read up on it a bit yeah. more than I did first thing this morning when I hadn't had enough coffee. <laughs> um, but yeah, look, it's it's personally, I don't think it's something the mobile operators here should be spending too much time and effort on. We have substantially bigger issues at hand, like, you know, normal voice. Okay, so... Quality. I mean, <laughs> the reason why people are talking about this is that uh, speeds of LTE, the LTE networks, are getting faster and faster. <coughs> Excuse me. And what we have is uh, Vodacom demoed uh, their yeah, LTE nice. network running in a test mode. So don't pull out your phone and expect to get this today. Uh, <laughs> running at 300, over 300 megabits a second, oh. which is uh, fairly serious. I mean, uh, if you were streaming data across that, you could uh, knock out a 3 gig bundle in a in a very, very... A respectable amount of time. Yes, uh, and cost. So, but, I mean, the reason why it – I mean, maybe you can explain because you do actually have a qualification in regulatory matters, so I'm going to tap into that. Yes, uh, so now it's my fault. Yes, no, well, not your <laughs> fault, but you can explain it to us. Why we're not going to get that kind of speed? Because it all has to do with the allocation of spectrum yep. for the operators to actually run LTE. Because at the moment they're not – LTE is meant to run in a specific section of the radio frequency spectrum. At the moment, they're not doing it. How are they doing it at the moment? At the moment, they're taking their old um, 1800 megahertz spectrum and they're refarming 10 megabits um, tranches of it. So with LTE, you need a pipe going up and you need a pipe going down, and those pipes need to be next to each other. And the way they're getting LTE 300 megabits per second is to actually combine a couple of those pipes mm-hmm. into one to give you a bigger pipe than, say, the, the 10 megabit, which, which is why you'll get so much speed. The problem is ECASA has an allocated spectrum for the mobile operators to use for LTE. So they're using the existing spectrum, which is why everybody has noticed that the network call quality has degraded slightly because they're using stuff that should so be what, used for 2 or 3G. So what they're essentially doing is robbing Peter to pay Paul. Yeah. From a spectrum point of view, certainly, yeah. And um, I know Vodacom was saying they were using 2.6 gig spectrum to trial it over the Vodafone, mm-hmm. Vodacom Dome thingy, which I'm not sure they actually have a license for. I know ECAS is meant to allocate it, but as far as I know, that's still Centex spectrum, which it's supposed to hand back. From what I understand, they, ECAS have approved it for the trial. Yeah. Uh, but they, but can't, actually, they can't run it commercially on that. No. Uh, I mean, and that, that little sort of piece of, of spectrum real estate is really the 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 holy land as it when it comes to the mobile operators what they all want to get their hands on in order to launch new services and actually do LTE properly yeah it's what ecasa um i always find quite quite cutely calls high demand frequency spectrums um the problem is that everybody wants the 3.5 and the 2.4 and the 2.6 because LTE re- requires high speed spectrum because it's high bandwidth over short distances yeah. so your lower Frequency spectrums, which DTT will will free up, aren't necessarily ideally suited for that kind of use. Okay, I mean, if you sorry, uh, geek moment. <laughs> yes, no, no, I understand. Or I hope <laughs> I hope our listeners understand as well. <laughs> yes, probably uh, not. <laughs> the the, I mean, the, yeah, I mean, the issue is, I mean, we need LTE for because uh, you need additional spectrum and additional capacity to run data. I mean, the the mobile operators are looking more and more to get a. Uh, a certain amount of, of speed out of the network. And yeah. I mean, I know when I go to like a crowded place, if you go to a crowded place, so if I go to Ellis Park and I'm on my phone and there's even a reasonable amount of people there, 
then even if I've got full signal, I don't get any throughput yeah, because the, because everything the the network just gets clogged up and nobody yeah. can get anything. Uh, and obviously the that's not optimal for the operators because if I can't send or receive, then I'm not using up my bandwidth. I'm not using up my data, and I'm not potentially going to buy more from them. Yeah. The it's still speaking, still sitting in the mobile space. Uh, the one thing I noticed this week was the the launch of the BlackBerry Passport, the phone which will either be uh, will either sink save or swim save BlackBerry, BlackBerry or will sink the company. <laughs> well, I don't know if it will actually sink the company, uh, but certainly but, a big phone. Yes. The weight might sink them. So for people who are want a, a real world reference, you take out your passport which you have sitting in the bottom drawer for the next time you go to Bermuda or Barbados or Tanzania. Uh, and you, that is the size of the phone. It's exactly the shape and size of an international passport. Uh, it has a big square screen and a, a weirdly shaped QWERTY keyboard at the bottom. Uh, and it's, and it runs, uh, BlackBerry OS 10. And it's, for me, it's a solution looking for a problem. Uh, <laughs> in that you get, you have a, a very big phone, which if you are a hardcore, email person, if you're a top executive, if you are really into that thing, if you're sending and receiving emails on the go all the time, then maybe you will use it. Uh, but in reality, uh, most of those people are probably perfectly happy with their iPhones and their Galaxies and their uh, HTCs. And they, that group of people has largely deserted the BlackBerry fold. I mean, overseas, they've completely deserted the BlackBerry Fold. Even in emerging markets, the high end of the market's also deserted the BlackBerry Fold. So now they're trying to win back this this high end of the market, but not necessarily doing a very good job of it or or producing a product which may not actually have an audience. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure. I know um, certainly a number of the execs I know are, are utterly devoted to their, to their BlackBerrys. And, and certainly from an enterprise point of view, BlackBerrys always had the edge because they really are good at separating your business use on a device versus your personal use and locking those those two different aspects down. So if you are an executive and you do need to have a personal device, you can BlackBerry the way the way the operating system works makes it really easy to have a personal phone that you can use as a work device without compromising yeah. your security or your data or anything important. Although, I think it'll probably be a niche um, niche kind of People who own them absolutely love them, and everybody else thinks they're stark staring insane, which well, was probably not what BlackBerry is after, but anyway. Although most people will just carry two phones, because that's generally what people do when they want a personal phone and a business phone. Yeah, I've never been able to get the hang of that, though. It drives me stark staring insane, having having one phone that beeps at me constantly, trying to have two. And from an enterprise security and access control point of view, having two Possibly is better, but yes. um, certainly it's not not so great for the user. And then the one phone gets left somewhere else. The kids get hold of it, and then you've got to use the business phone for personal because the kids have locked the personal. Yeah, it's it's not a it's not an ideal solution. Yes, and uh, I mean the one phone which uh, well the news over the weekend was uh, Apple announced its sales of uh, initial sales figures for the iPhone six and six plus, and they shipped about four million uh, units. Uh, in like the first three days or first weekend that they had this thing on sale, which is uh, an astronomical, yeah, it's a lot of, it's a lot of, it's a lot of phones. But, uh, there's been a little bit of a controversy over the last few days in which people have been discovering that their shiny new iPhone sixes, when they put them in the back pocket of their jeans and they sit down on them, they tend to bend, uh, which, uh, 
It's been getting a lot of, yeah, uh, a lot of airtime. So, uh, why, why uh, Apple? Why you yeah, do this to yeah. us? <laughs> so maybe they made it a little bit softer than they really should have. Uh, uh-huh. And at the same time, then yesterday they pushed out a update to iOS eight, which uh, started bricking phones. Well, not bricking phones, but uh, the Touch ID, which is the fingerprint reader, wouldn't work, and it would lose cellular signals. So Apple quickly pulled it back and said, "Don't do this! Don't do this!" Uh, luckily, I hadn't got to that point yet. Uh, Apparently, it's only the 6 and the 6S that are affected by the bricking oh. problem. So if you're in anything below a 6, and I suspect most of us here in sunny South Africa are not yes. quite on the 6 yet, aside from anything else, yeah. the cost of the device. Yes. So, yeah, if you're on a 5 or whatever, it's fine. Um, if you're on a 6, then, yeah, it was locking the touch and the um, cellular service was non-existent. But if you do happen to have a 6 and have that problem, then all you do is reinstall from iTunes yes. and it apparently fixes it. Yeah, they did actually issue a patch or issue, re-roll it back and uh, – and make sure an update work. to the update. And, yeah, an update to the update, which was an up, a down date rather than an update quite quickly, which is quite impressive. Yes. <laughs> the other thing which happened this week was the launch, in local launch, of the Xbox One. Yes. Uh, which uh, people who play games uh, were very excited about. Uh, I am a partial gamer. Uh, it means I, I like playing games. I just don't have much time to do it. Uh, and... Uh, so there was a launch at Microsoft's offices on Tuesday night. Uh, it went on sale on, no, sorry, Monday, Monday night. night. Monday yeah. night, sorry. Time flies. Uh, and uh, it went on sale at midnight on Tuesday morning uh, with a few stores like Incredible Connection and Dion White, I think, also stayed opened up Open some, opened up some of their stores at midnight for an hour so people could get in early and buy these uh, and, and buy them. Um, they are quite expensive. Yeah, that's that was my thought on those. I'm a huge Xbox fan, even though I don't game much anymore, and I had two Xboxes stolen, and I'm still trying to recover from the, the psychological trauma of losing two of them in a row. Um, and I would love to get another one, but looking at the price tag, it is... What's the... I, I'm so bad I think with numbers. the cheapest are about 6.3. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say that. I seem to think 7.5. Yeah, and then I if you want the Kinect, the, then, you pay, then you're paying upwards of 7 or 8. Yeah, for, for a um, device, that's a lot for a console, yes. uh, given what everybody else's offerings are currently yeah. retailing and, for. I mean, and it is coming up against the PS4, which has been out here for a good few months. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the PS4, the, I mean, the, in the last generation of consoles, the Xbox One, essentially in South Africa, because people were buying it because Microsoft were able to drive the price down faster than Sony were able to drive down the price of the PS3. Yeah, uh, they, it's kind of it's always a race to the bottom. It's always a race to that that magical price point where the people who have the last generation are going to go. Okay, that's fine. The, the, I'll the buy pri- the new one. I'll yeah. buy the new one. At the moment, you're really dealing with the early adopters and people who uh, uh, who absolutely have to have uh, brighter and shinier graphics on their on their screens, like the people who will only watch Blu-rays rather than watching ordinary DVDs. Yes. Or have to see it in 1080p rather than in 720p. We all know one. Yes, we all know no one. names mentioned. They're like the people who buy gold <laughs> gold cables for their audio systems because ah, you know it just God. sounds better. <laughs> uh, so the one thing I saw today is that uh, there was a announcement or a comment from DSTV that they are not working with Microsoft to bring the electronic program guide to the Xbox, the Xbox One. That's interesting. Uh, and one of the key differentiators is the of the Xbox One is the ability to connect your cable system or your satellite system through and pass it through the, through the Xbox One and allow the Xbox One to sort of overlay its shiny version of reality onto what's often a very dull and boring environment. Uh, TV experience. 
Yes, and and also to allow the Xbox One's voice and motion control uh, facilities to take over as well. So you could say Xbox change channel or go to channel 201 uh, and it will do it. I must say oh. that at the at the launch on Monday, I, the one thing I was quite impressed with is that, well, let me pre- preface this by saying one of the problems we have with voice control systems is they don't like South Africans. They don't like South African accents. If you don't, you know, uh, when I ask my phone to call my mother, I can't say Liza. I have to say Lisa uh, yeah. because apparently they don't say Zs in America or Zs. <laughs> uh, they just they just say whatever they want to say. If you have but, a black uh, South African accent, then you're <laughs> probably completely <yeah>. screwed. <laughs> so that is, I mean, that's a, a fundamental problem with it. And uh, when they demoed the voice stuff on the Xbox One, it was just a normal, neutral South African accent. And it worked perfectly. So nice. uh, I'm not saying that's the, 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 the whole truth and nothing but the truth, because he may have been <laughs> practicing. Uh, but uh, it was a, a really good uh, option and, yeah. and, and a nice way to uh, – I mean, I'm quite happy that it actually looks like it's working, because it really is irritating when you kind of have to fake an American accent to get your gadgets to do what you want them do to anything, do. anything, yeah. I've never gotten into voice controls for exactly that reason. I don't have the patience to learn what it needs me to say so that it understands what I want. It's just it's never going to full stop. Yeah, none, none of that. So talking about Xbox Ones and media control centers leads us very nicely into our guest for today, uh, Billy Oersthausen from Altec. So uh, two weeks ago, uh, Altec released the note. I had seen one lying around a friend of mine's house and asked him, what is that? And he went, I'm not allowed to tell you what that is. And I go, but why can't you tell me what this is? I've signed an NDA. Like, oh, it's okay, I'll sign an NDA. And he goes, no, no, I still can't tell you what, what it is. Uh, so I had to wait until the official announcement uh, to find out what the node is. So, Billy, maybe you can just sort of, for our listeners, explain to us what is Altec Node. Good afternoon. Yeah, I think uh, Altec Node is something quite quite new um, to the South African uh, and mostly in the, in the world as well, given all of the functionality we managed to put into the device. It starts off with um, um, VOD, video on demand uh, services, but it uses a unique mechanism to deliver the videos uh, for for the people at home. So you don't consume any of your data bandwidth uh, to have the videos delivered. We pre-populate the drive. There's a one terabyte hard drive in the node. We pre-populate it with uh, movies, um, some TV shows, as well as some documentary shows. Um, and there's two categories. One is the SWOT library, subscription VOD. Uh, what that one does, in your subscription fees included, you can have up to 700 hours of uh, entertainment, uh, which includes box sets of DVDs as well as uh, a bit older movies, typically like the Netflix model. Um, but then we also have a category TVOT or transactional VOD. Uh, and those are the latest releases, uh, HD versions. And we get the movies the same time as the DVD stores get them uh, in the stores. So the moment uh, you can buy it in a DVD store, it will be available electronically on the node. And we use a 10 meg uh, always on uncapped satellite connection into the node, and we FTP these videos onto the node in encrypted format. Um, so that's one part of it is, uh, is VOD, so it gives people a lot of uh, entertainment. And the nice thing about it is you can watch what you want when you want to. Uh, if you want to watch the whole series, all episodes of a weekend, you can do that, no ad interruptions, and you don't have to wait for the next week before the next episode comes up. So that's the the one part. But Node really is, is four devices in one, uh, and we created four virtual machines on the device. Uh, 
so the first one is the studio content. Um, then we added the section which makes your TV intelligent. So it makes a smart TV. Uh, it's a it's a Wi-Fi hotspot. So then you connect your your TV to it, or if your TV can't connect to the internet, um, you'll use your node as the intelligence for the TV. So you can watch YouTube clips um, and other applications on on that. Um, a third part of it is runs Android, like a smartphone. So you can we have Note App Store. We've got pre-qualified applications that runs on it. We can't open the whole app store um, because your TV doesn't, doesn't have a touchscreen uh, and other you know features that some of these applications use from smartphones. So we qualified some of those, uh, like radio uh, station streaming apps, for example, and you know it becomes a radio station streamer, uh, etc. Those kind of apps you can use uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, and, and those kind of applications on it as well. And then the fourth part, which for me is the most exciting, is the home automation. Uh, facility. So we build in a Zigbee interface into the device, and we've also qualified and tested uh, some appliances that works together with the node. So that's like smart plugs, um, where you can set a timer to say switch on this uh, light at 7 o'clock and switch it off at 11 p.m. So all of these traditional analog ones, you can now do all of that from a central point from your TV. Uh, and then it's got things like motion sensors, where you could say if the motion sensor is triggered, switch on a light, start streaming a camera, uh, Etc. We also have two Wi-Fi cameras that we pre-tested with it, one for outdoor use, uh, for surveillance, and one for indoor use. Typical, typical applications would be like a baby monitor or you want to see what's happening inside your house. Uh, you can also do that. Nanny cam. Uh, yeah. So uh, the question I, 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 want, I want to ask first is why? Why would, I mean, Altec to a certain extent, it's not, I mean, you do have AutoPage, Altec AutoPage, which is the cellular uh, arm of the business, which is a consumer-facing brand. But Altec hasn't really been a consumer-facing brand for, for a very long time. Uh, so why is, there, why is the company getting into the video and demand and, multi, and media and uh, game at this point in time? I, I think is, uh, there's multiple reasons for that. We have two consumer-facing brands. Uh, one is Altec AutoPage, another one is Altec Netstar. Uh, which is Total Vehicle Recovery and, and Fleet Management Services. Um, I, th- I think the whole company, Altron, which is the parent company of Altec, is going through a, a process where we start looking, instead of having 44 different companies operating independently, is how do we get companies to build products together? Um, so Node, for example, is the first example of a product we put into the market where eight different companies were involved in development of the product. Uh, so we have UEC, that is the set of boxes in, in Durban, um, we have AutoPage. Um, but if you look at the product, it's really a converged services platform. So in there is a payment system. Uh, there's a digital wallet, which is a separate product of Altec. Uh, it is uh, a place where you can put your credit card in. We do the switching through a company called ACS. Um, then we also have a 3G card built into the set-up box. So airtime that you buy or prepaid airtime you can top up uh, through the device. Uh, it generates more revenue for AutoPage. Uh, through that mechanism, but it also creates a lot of uh, convenience for the consumer. Um, so the idea was really to put a converged services product together that leverages all the companies, but then also allows us uh, over time to, um, through convenience to the consumers, um, have ways to get an auto page into your house uh, instead of just having to go to the auto page shop, for example, or having to go to a retail outlet to buy airtime. You can now do it either on your phone or your node. Uh, when and, and what you want to do it. So it's all about convenience, I think. Um, and also for us then to put some new products into the market. 
um, and show that Altec is still a very innovative company. Through this creation of Note, we uh, filed more than 40 patents internationally. Okay. And who who's going to buy this? I mean, are you looking at the DSD, classical DSTV subscriber? Are you looking at the people who have had DSV in the past and then gone, actually, I don't feel like paying 700 rand a month for DSTV? Or are there people out there who uh, have had neither before and and are now looking for something different and looking looking for a model which or an entertainment source which doesn't rely on them either breaking the law or or spending a lot of time at other people's houses. Yeah, I think it's a it's a combination. Uh, I think the first thing you know it is not a competitive product to to DSTV because we don't do any linear broadcasting. Uh, this is a complementary product to anything people already have today. Um, we don't do any live streaming um, of any content. So, unless you go over the internet, uh, when you watch YouTube, for for example, um, I, I think the idea is typically the DSTV subscriber today, uh, which can create an additional source of uh, of entertainment. But we have in our roadmap also plans to address lower LSMs uh, and different target markets, uh, things like a kiosk model. Uh, we have a USB and have the the content on there and play the same mechanism through it. I think one of the, the key developments in the node was uh, encryption um, as well as then the crypto that goes around securing content for studios remotely. Because all we did, we, we effectively removed the content out of the cloud, put it onto your drive, and extended um, the, the content into your house. And when you watch the movie, we just go and fetch the uh, decryption key across the internet to, to do that. Now, because we've developed that technology, we can use it in different ways. Uh, so you'll definitely see... Um, a roadmap coming out of, of new products, leveraging the technology we developed on a node to address different parts of the market. I think there's definitely, as DTT will start to roll out, hopefully, after many years of delays, um, it could be a, a very uh, complementary product to DTT. Uh, and you might see some uh, some lower-cost nodes come out that has separate functionality that doesn't have all-in-one. So the first version is just, this is the node that has all the functionality built in, um, but you may see lower-cost versions of that has subsets of the functionality in it. Okay, so you talked a bit about the cost. Uh, maybe you could just break it down for the listeners in terms of what it will cost you to buy the device, what you get for that, and what it costs you for the for the the subscription service, and what it costs you to rent a new release uh, the movie. Okay, so I'll start with the installation and, and the acquisition of the device. Uh, the the Device uh, recommended retail price is uh, three four double nine. Um, if you buy it outright cash, we also have two channels through Cell C and through the AutoPage stores. We can buy it on uh, on a um, lease to own option, twenty four months contract, like you do with your smartphones. Um, so you can go to an AutoPage shop. Uh, I'm under correction, but I think it's around about one hundred ninety nine per month uh, over over two years, and then you can own the device over that time. Included in that cost is also the installation for free. So there's a voucher in the box uh, that allows you to have a free installation. Whether you have a DSTV dish or not, uh, if you have one, we'll just pull a separate cable with uh, quad LNB from the dish down to the to the node. So to make sure you don't uh, interfere with the quality of your DSTV uh, reception uh, or the other way around. Um, if you don't have a dish, we'll also install a dish uh, and pull the cable in uh, for the price that you bought it at the three four double nine. Um, then going on to the subscription fees, uh, there's a, a subscription fee of two ninety nine, and what that gives you is access to the SVOD library. SVOD is subscription VOD, um, which has about 700 hours of, of content. 
Uh, an S model is a typical like a Netflix model where you have you can eat as much as you can, watch as much as you can, go through a whole series um, of, of content. And then we've got a TVOT library built in as well. So it's a bit of a mix of iTunes and Netflix on the same device where you can then go for latest releases in HD format. Uh, and the instant you, you rent them, they range from 15 rand to 25 rand per rental. Uh, the 25 rand ones are the latest releases that were released in like 2013, 2014. Um, and then you have the 15 rand ones on the TVOT library. And those are typical ones that are very popular, but they're not new anymore. Okay. Um, so they're not in the SWOT library. Um, so there's also a lot of documentary, a lot of travel uh, uh, content in there uh, that goes about certain cities uh, or history of business, you know, how Zuckerberg started up uh, Facebook or how Raymond Ackerman started up Pick and Pay. Those kind of documentary, also business uh, background uh, contents on there. So it is really a complementary service to what we currently have already in the market. And I think the biggest differentiator for Node, from my experience, I've had one for five months now, uh, as I've been part of the development team and, and the trial teams, is the quality of the content. Uh, when you rent a 25 rand movie, it comes in 1080p HD uh, Blu-ray quality that you have on there, which no streaming service can do on the current infrastructure we have in South Africa on the internet. Okay, so, uh, and the subscription video on demand service, uh, how much are, is, is the monthly subscription for that? Uh, it's two ninety nine per month. Um, so subscription VOD in, is, is included, uh, but then also gives you, it becomes a, a Wi-Fi hotspot in your house. Uh, you have access to the smart cameras and all of the other value-add features that we put on top of it, including things like uh, it's a media streamer in your house, so you can attach your hard drive or your disk or USB at the back end of it, uh, and so it's a USB um, interface that actually works. Um, and what you can do then is to stream your own content in your house using the Node Wi-Fi hotspot uh, to multiple devices. So up to five tablets or PCs or other smart TVs can then consume that content that you stream from your devices. We are working currently with the studios to also enable that for studio content. Okay. So at the moment, if I plug my hard drive into the back, I can stream that across the network yeah. to any, any Wi-Fi device that can receive probably, what, MP4 uh, yeah. uh, video. Uh, and then, but and hopefully in the near future, it, all the the subscription video on demand and the transactional video on demand content will be available and over those to, over that network as well. Yeah, and the idea is that you could have different family members watch different movies uh, at the same time, you know, stream by and through the node, because all the content lives on the node already. So it doesn't use your last mile connection to your house, um, because you just use it to Wi-Fi hotspot. It creates itself to to transfer the data. Okay, so would you, I mean, if in a typical environment, I mean, I've got my ADSL router plugged into my telephone line, uh, and does that then, I, would I then run an Ethernet cable from that to the, to the node, and, that would, and then the node would act as my Wi-Fi hotspot for the house? You, you can do that. Uh, the node has multiple ways of connection, uh, and we have a connection manager built in. So the first option is it could be your Ethernet interface. So there's an Ethernet uh, interface in there, so you can run a cable. If you don't want to run a cable to it, you know this maybe there's your TV and your, your modem might be somewhere else. Um, you could connect Wi-Fi. So you know it could then, through a Wi-Fi interface, connect to your modem that you use or your existing Wi-Fi, that's what you have. Uh, if you don't have any of that, uh, any internet connectivity, there's a 3G card that's included with the node, um, which you can then use with prepaid data. Um, and you, the node becomes the Wi-Fi hotspot and then uses the 3G for external connectivity. 
So is there a rule about what network I have to use or is it, or can I slot any card I like into the back of it? Um, we did quite a bit of work on, uh, on that. Um, we don't want to limit people's choice uh, around it, but the good thing is we have a company called AutoPage and a group that has access to all of the operators. So during the installation process, when they come and install your node, uh, we developed a smartphone app that tests the signal at the exact location where your node is at. Uh, we give the user a choice, and the installer has uh, you know, all of the operators, some cards in his pocket. Uh, he will recover the one on the spot and insert it that you can use across there. Um, we won't encourage people to take the SIM card out and put something else in. And the main reason for that is the end-user experience. So the node needs internet connectivity to operate, not for downloading data unless you watch YouTube, uh, but it's for the key exchange. So when you want to click on a, on a video that's, that's encrypted and you need a decryption key, you need the internet connectivity to, to go and fetch it. Um, now, if, if it doesn't work, we've taken out the 3G card, um, and if it's not one that's supported by AutoPage, our call center will not be able to support the customers properly to say, I can do diagnostics on your node and I can see that your 3G card doesn't have airtime or whatever the reason for okay. that is. Uh, so it's mainly in, you know, for improved end-user experience. Uh, okay. That's the main reason. So um, what happens when, if I cancel my contract, if I say I don't want to pay the 299 anymore, but I've bought the, the, the device and it's installed and it's working, do I just then lose access to the video-on-demand stuff or does the whole thing shut down? Um, the node needs connectivity to the Internet uh, to, to work, and every time you connect to the Internet, it checks validity. So it checks whether your subscription is up to date. Um, Unfortunately, if you don't pay the subscription fee, all of the functionality dies uh, on the device. Okay. And so, I mean, one of the things I'm really keen on is home automation. And it's something I've, you know, I always want to do but never get around to doing myself because money and time and effort. And most of the time you feel like you need an engineering degree to actually get any kind of home automation working. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, how easy is it to get the home automation stuff working? And, I mean, you talked about the video cameras uh, and motion sensors and things like that. I mean, what are the? I mean, maybe you could just run through again in terms of the home automation yeah. stuff. What? I mean, if you had, if you were using, I mean, I'm assuming you've got some of the stuff working at your house. What? Do, what does your house look like? You know, in terms of using the home automation stuff. Uh, I think that the key thing on the node is is choice. Uh, you know, that's kind of the the baseline when we started developing this, whether it's on the Android application, whether it's on the smartphone applications as well. So what we started off with is just the first instance of these devices. So we've got an indoor camera, outdoor camera, and they're, and they're both Wi-Fi enabled. They both do night vision as well, so you have infrared uh, facilities built in. And how you configure your cameras in the, in the beginning uh, is you, there will be an Ethernet cable, and you plug your camera into the node uh, on the Ethernet interface. Um, the node will then have an application where you can go onto, it's like a URL, and you go into these cameras, and you just configure the IP addressing that you need to, okay. to put up on there. Uh, where you want to use DHCP, we, we recommend for, for cameras to have static IP addresses uh, configured, and we've got allocated addresses that we reserved in the node that won't be allocated through DHCP. Um, you know, you then, once the camera is configured, um, you can then install it where you want to, uh, you know, and it's accessible via Wi-Fi. You go to the node interface, and you say add camera, you put the IP address in, you know, and the camera shows up uh, on, on the device, and then you can start scripting around it. So I'll come back to the scripting just now. So the other devices are uh, motion sensors uh, and smart plugs, and we, we are working already in testing a light switch. So we're just putting a ZigBee interface into a light switch, which will en enable you to quite easily convert your house into a smart uh, home 
without the engineering degree. Okay, so, uh, so these devices have Zigbee interfaces, okay. sorry, the, and it, all you just type in is you go say add a motion sensor. Uh, it comes up with typing the, the MAC address, which is printed on the device, uh, and once you submit it, it discovers it automatically. Okay, so Zigbee is a standard for home automation. Yeah. It's, well, there's a couple of standards out there, but it's one of the main ones that you that yeah. they're using internationally. So if I went to the States and I bought a Zigbee device, would I be able to make it work on the node, or do you guys have to pre-qualify it? Uh, we, we, we come back to the end-user experience. Is uh, Because it's a you know, pretty new device, uh, we've pre-qualified some devices for people at work. Uh, but I see no reason why you know, uh, your Zigbee devices would not be able to work uh, later, as long as you choose the right Zigbee implementation. Unfortunately, like any standard, there's about 16 variations of Zigbee, uh, and it comes into the different drivers um, that people would enable on there. Um, and there is a standardization effort going on now, uh, and it's a little bit difficult, you know, every Zigbee device is not the same as the other one. Uh, you need to have the, exactly the same driver uh, and the same type of functionality built into the Zigbee driver of the device that you buy. Okay. And that's why we thought we'll pre-qualify some for people, and we'll add to that list all the time. Okay. And, I mean, the 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 actual, I mean, one of the most interesting ones is the, are the plugs, because then you suddenly opening up the option of, of connecting almost any kind of device or uh, standing lamps or interesting things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, to a to the smart home. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, if I was buying the the actual plug, I mean, it looks like a little sort of two prong adapter. If I understand yeah. correctly, you just plug the thing, you plug it in, and then it goes. Uh, yeah, you just plug it in. Also, it has the same uh, ID function as the motion sensor. So what you do is you'll also say just uh, add a device, uh, okay. which is a plug. It will come up. Give me a Zigbee identifier. You type it in. It's a sixteen character MAC address. Uh, discovers the plug, and then you can uh, go and configure the plug. Okay. And the idea is the the smart thing is the configuration interface where you can say uh, switch on the light right now or switch it off or schedule a switch on monthly, weekly, whatever the case is. We also have a high, uh, like a 30-amp relay switch for your pool pump or your geyser or okay. your underfloor heating and those ones okay. that you would use as well. So um, the idea is then, you know, as you figure out more and more what you want to do, you plug more plugs in and you make it more intelligent. And is there a limit to how many things you can have on the system, or is it pretty much limitless? Um, in the first release uh, that we've released now, uh, it, it's, we, we only support two smart devices per node um, in your current subscription fees. So what we'll do is, uh, and when I talk about the next release, I'm talking before Christmas time, uh, within a, in a month or two, uh, we will have a version that supports, uh, you know, as many as you want to put in there. The cameras are a little bit more tricky. Um, we support up to eight cameras. Um, but for, you know, the other devices like Zigbee devices, the more you, you plug in, the stronger your network becomes. Um, so we won't be limiting people on those devices up to 30, 40, whatever you want to put okay. in. So the the cameras, I mean, they obviously recording the the video that they, they're collecting. How long does it record for is... Uh, I mean, what is the? I mean, how is that set up? Because obviously, you don't want people just, you know, it's nice to watch what's happening at your house, but most of the time, you actually want to be able to say, well, actually, that was that person wandering around my backyard checking out my my tool shed. I, I'd rather have a video of that person than be able to take the yeah. lease. Um, right now, it's more based on on you sitting in front of your TV, uh, so it's in house experience for now. Um, so you could, for example, set up a motion sensor that says, you know, if the motion sensor, your swimming pool is triggered, switch on the camera, interrupt my movie, and bring the camera image to the front uh, where you can see it and you can decide what you want to do. Uh, so it's it's more for real-time in-house use right now. 
Um, but we obviously on the roadmap have uh, secure connectivity to that remotely. So, you know, if something happens in your house, you can see that image on your phone, folks, for example. Uh, the big thing we are working on is the security again on this. We want to make sure that nobody can, through his smartphone, get access to see in your house or your backyard or open a door or switch on the light or off or open a gate or whatever. So we'll be working on that security and also in a, a very rich roadmap for, for those ones to then start recording how much you want to record. And so but right now we just main, mainly wanted to show the, the capability of the integration and it's a real-time in-house experience for now. Okay. So the, the, the end of the... I mean, if you sort of look down into the sort of the, 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 the blue sky future, I mean, ideally what, I mean, specifically in the South African environment, what you would want is to be able to have those, all these devices connected, uh, linked into the, whatever security company you choose, uh, and, and able to record, able to stream it to your phone wherever you are in the world, uh, and, and back it up, uh, to the cloud possibly as well. Um, yeah, so there's definitely a, there's a, there's a very rich roadmap for us in a home automation business, uh, as, as a service. So where you can then start, uh, even, you know, when you go away on holiday, you can, uh, you know, tell your security company, sometimes it's not a good idea, but, you know, if you have a, a good security company, uh, you can have people monitor those cameras for you. Um, you know, and you can give them the passcode to make sure that, you know, some of those motion sensors, things are triggered, uh, or they can go into the device and look for yourself. You know, while you're away from home, you can never, you know, a few hours go and see if everything is still okay. Or you can set up alerts that will then come through to your mobile phone that says, you know, motion trigger has been censored. Do you want to see the stream from your driveway? Uh, because that's the area where the activity is happening. And then you can at that time decide, do I want to record this? Or you can, for example, record the last 10 minutes of any uh, sensor. And, and that's the scripting that's built into the node uh, that allows you to, to do this. You can say, if the motion sensor is triggered, switch on the camera and record for the next 10 minutes, for example, uh, will be a future function we'll, we'll put in there. So the scripting function is already there. We'll just add more and more functions uh, into it. Okay. And, I mean, how do you, you talked about scripting functions. I mean, uh, that obviously means you have to be able to type in and interact. Or if you're working with on the Android one, you need to be able to connect to it. You can't just use a simple remote to, to do it. I know that the, the node has got quite a smart uh, yeah. remote. So maybe you can just explain to the listeners how the how the remote why why this remote's more interesting than the standard one you get with your average Samsung. Um, yeah, so, so the remote is firstly is not an IR remote. Uh, it uses wireless technology for that as well. So you don't have to point the remote uh, at your device, which helps hugely because at the backside of the of the node remote you have a QWERTY keyboard. So you turn it around and you can type, but you don't have to point the IR interface to the TV while you're typing. You can look with your back to the TV and still type, and it works. Um, that, that is the first option, but we also released uh, a free app on the iOS and on the Apple Store as well as for Google that you can download called uh, the Altec Node Remote, um, which gives you all the remote functionality uh, with shortcuts, and it's actually uh, much user-friendly than the actual remote. Uh, it's a very nice uh, application that we, we designed through AutoPage, and um, you know I've been since I've downloaded that one, I, I never used my remote anymore. So I'm assuming it's just a standard uh, Bluetooth connection between the Node and the and the and the phone and the remote, or is it? A specific it actually uses the Wi-Fi because the oh, node okay. creates its hotspot by itself. Uh, okay. It auto discovers the node, discovers the address of the node, and you just click on to attach to that okay. one. And it uses. It also is the same app that you use to stream content uh, to your app. So if you now have your hard drive connected to the back end, you want to watch a movie that's on your hard drive on your tablet. You would use the same application. It gives you a listing of all of the content that's on your drive on the USB that's the back end of the node. Okay. And in terms of the, I mean, 
I talked a bit about who was going to use it. I mean, uh, uh, a lot of the are other products in the market which are doing video on demand. They tend to be streaming. Uh, the one, well, the one, the one is the it's Vidi, which is streams it across your ADSL connection, uh, or if you wanted to use a three G connection, you could as well. I suppose if you can stomach the costs. Uh, do you think that's a? I mean, is that a an is that kind of a sort of streaming model also part of the roadmap, or is, are you st- going to stick to the the, the pre-populated system? I, I think as as we get more and more broadband uh, in the country, which we you know, and I when we did the launch that night, I spoke about what sales and marketing people call broadband and what engineers call broadband. Uh, there's a big difference. Um, you know, in South Africa, there's uh, about a hundred thousand people today that it has enough broadband in their house at an affordable price um, that it has, for example, four megabits per second or higher uncapped into the house that they can sustain <clears throat> and use to access content. The rest of the, of the country don't have access to that kind of bandwidth. So as we migrate to having more and more broadband at affordable prices uh, with the right quality, um, the node is actually a hybrid device. So it does Ethernet as well. So we stream YouTube today already to it, and there's no reason why we can't, instead of using the satellite, we'll use uh, you know, the Internet to stream across there. The problem with most streaming um, applications and content, you know, and if you look at companies like Netflix, because they know the delivery mechanism is the Internet, which they've got very little control over the quality and the speed, they actually take the content files in a very small format. So you'll find a 200 or a 300 meg file being streamed to you across the Internet, uh, if you watch on a phone or a tablet, that's okay. Uh, if you put it on a big screen TV, uh, it becomes you know not so good. Uh, and if you put it on an eighty inch TV, you know it becomes unwatchable. Yeah. Um, you know that's the the biggest problem that all of these streaming uh, type of over the top players have in the current South African and African environment. If you live in Europe, you know I lived in Paris for five years. I had forty five megs uncapped into my house. You, know, you could watch any streaming device in HD. Uh, in any streaming type of content. Uh, but in South Africa, unfortunately, I think we're years away from having that at scale. I'm not talking about 100,000, I'm talking 60 million people okay. having access to that kind of bandwidth. And I mean, the other issue you have is that uh, I know with Netflix, what happens is they dynamically uh, adjust the quality of the stream yep. uh, depending on, on the network, what their device says, the network's behave, how well the network's behaving. And, if, and you get, I've seen uh, images of people who've gone, well, actually, this is a, you know, uh, your your video stream sucks. Uh, blame Verizon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a very important point you're making now. Uh, you know, we're in close discussions with uh, with Netflix and other content providers, and I asked them uh, two weeks ago why are they not more aggressively going out after South Africa? You know, and the main concern is the user experience, because people see a bad experience on Netflix, they blame Netflix. They say you know they don't have a proper quality service. If you watch Netflix in France, it's a completely different experience from doing it over here, uh, and it hurts the brand. Um, yeah. That is why, you know, besides the fact that it's illegal, um, you know, to, to do that in South Africa, uh, I think the quality of the end user experience is, is, is just not comparable to anything like we have on, on the node. And um, I, you know, use Netflix to test sometimes, you know, to see the quality differences on these. I have a 10 meg fiber that terminates in my, in my study, uh, you know, and I can't watch Netflix. Uh, one, because of the quality, and, and two, because of buffering, you know, and interruptions you get uh, because the content has to cross the Atlantic at some stage. Yeah. Um, you know, it doesn't matter what interface you have into your home. So until they have localized the, the content, legalized the content, uh, you know, I wouldn't suggest people use that. Okay, so it's just a, 
I mean, from your perspective, and I have seen some sort of images of what the interface looks like. It looks pretty slick. I mean, I mean, comments on that. There are obviously teething problems still in terms of the speed and responsiveness of the of the actual UI to start with, uh, or at the moment. But there's obviously things that you you only find out when you actually get a, give a, give a few thousand people your device and 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 they actually start using it, and then and they start saying, "Well, actually, I don't like this, or I don't like that." Uh, yeah, I think we're aware of those ones. Uh, we've, as I mentioned earlier, we've been field trialing this for <clears throat> about five months. We had 400 uh, Eltron employees uh, field trial the, the different versions. We had at least 15 releases of software tested uh, before we launched it commercially. Um, there's a new software release coming up, you know, within two or three days. Um, and the big thing about this, we can use the over-the-air upgrade. So the same mechanism that we use to deliver your your videos, uh, we do automatic upgrades in the background. The user doesn't even know it. Um, you know, so we'll constantly improve the device uh, without the user even knowing that these improvements are going on. But one of the, the UI interface um, have slowed down a little bit sometimes when you stream out content uh, because there's a 10 meg stream coming in, pumping content into the node. Uh, I think that's the important part to understand of the node is that you'll have your content on the drive, but 15 to 20% of the content will be shifted off every month. So we'll look at stuff that people don't watch that's not popular or older. There's a, a category called Last Chance. Uh, you click on Last Chance, you'll see all of the content that will drop off by the end of the month, and you can watch those once if you want to. Uh, and then there's a bucket called New Arrivals. We click on those, that's all of the new content that's come on. Okay. So it's a content carousel that sits at the back end that kind of shifts content on and off based on the consumption. And that's and very similar to what Netflix do as well, where they yeah. where they re- replace and take out and put in new stuff each month and take yeah. out old stuff. And then and you get people to you see posts on the internet going, well, this is your last chance to watch yeah. Yeah. season one of Sex in the City until yeah. because Netflix are taking it off at the end of the month. Yeah, I think one one other part that's interesting about a content, because we have the carousel and the back end, so what you see as a consumer, you only see the node. Uh, but what we design at the back end is uh, it's a very detailed billing platform. Uh, so you get a real-time uh, billing um, in itemized format on the node. So uh, at any time, you know, one second after you've made a transaction, you can see exactly uh, what the costs are and, and how you, you mm-hmm. do that. It's actually a statement because it's all prepaid, uh, you know, on on the function. We also build a carousel the backend so we can use it for educational content. Okay. Um, you know, so we could stream educational content or any type of content. It doesn't have to be entertainment content that goes across there. Okay, and the one, I guess, the one bonus of that whole billing engine is that, I mean, I'll compare it to DSTV box office, where you have, if you you say I want to watch this movie, and the movie's sitting there already, but I have to send an SMS to to DSTV, say with the number, and and then it comes back. Whereas with the, having the billing engine on the back end, or and and the and the full return path built into the device, you can actually, uh, it's it's an instant thing. It's almost like you experience buying a song on iTunes. You know, once your credit card is built into the system, uh, you can continue just using your credit card. We also built a wallet in, so if you want to give access to your kids, for example, you can put a certain amount of money into the digital wallet. They can use digital wallet and buy content, it, mm-hmm. etc., until the money is finished. And you can set thresholds, et cetera, so it's on there. Okay. Billy, I think that's uh, the time we've got for the for our discussion about Node. Thank you very much for coming yeah. in. Uh, the next part of the show, we move on to our pick or pick on of the week. Uh, I'm sure Sam's got somebody she wants to pick on because she does have a bit of a reputation for <laughs> being a bit of a firebrand. You mean? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is my innocent look. Yes. <laughs> uh, so do you have someone you want to pick on or pick 
Awesome. Pick on, yes, let's pick on. Let's pick on ICASA because we have been attempting to license the high demand frequency spectrums since, if I'm not mistaken, the end of 2011. And we're now nearly at the end of 2014. And we are, as far as I'm aware, absolutely no closer to licensing any of them. ICASA, really, it's time now. Move it. I mean, the one thing, I mean, with those high demand spectrums, when we first started talking about it, they were going to license it for, for WiMAX. Uh, yes, which uh, is kind of cute, really. Well, you, <laughs> We actually maybe have dodged a bit of a bullet because if they had have licensed that Spectrum for WiMAX in yeah. 2011 or 2010, then it was actually even earlier than that because they wanted it up it, for the World it was, Cup. It was earlier because our current licensing regime is technology neutral, so you don't license Spectrum for any particular end yeah. use. You just license the Spectrum but and you, whatever the operator does with it is their problem. But how you divvy up the Spectrum does determine does, can be used, is is sure. does opt, is optimized for a specific technology WiMAX is needs certain bands of of spectrum whereas LTE needs certain other elements other ones other yeah. no sure and so if you divide it up one way you're going to favor a technology and people are going to have to jerry rig it to yeah we to, need to reaching spectrum allocation around um iburst centec and Somebody else, um, for them to be able to allocate those Neotel. to LTE. Yeah, Neotel's the other one because they're, they're all in the wrong space yeah. on that particular frequency spectrum band. So I have two things I want to pick. Uh, the one pick. is, one is more of a little nice. discussion. Uh, <laughs> because, uh, if you have a smartphone and you wander into a Vida cafe, you will see a little sign which says FlickPay there. If you happen to be in some shops, a lot of the ones in Cape Town more than in Joburg, you will see SnapScan in quite a few places. And if you wander into a Pizza Perfect, and this is the only place I've actually seen it, there's a, a service called Zapper, yeah. uh, which, which, there's, which works there. Uh, and the, all of these basically allow you to enter your credit card details onto your phone and then use your phone to pay. Now, I've used SnapScan. It works beautifully. Uh, and I think it works better where you have small vendors who don't really have point-of-sale systems because there's a, a return path over a cell phone which says it's been paid. Uh, FlickPay works really, really well at Vida Cafe where it's, it's integrated into their point of sale system. The, your, your phone generates a QR code which they scan, uh, or they punch in a code which is also generated if they don't have the scanner or the scanner's not working, uh, and that then pushes the credit card transaction through. And that also works beautifully. I use it all the time. Yeah. Uh, Zapper, on the other hand, Works great once you've got a setup, but they have one fundamental error in their setup system in that you cannot, uh, pay, you cannot set up your credit card unless you actually have, you scan the QR code off the actual, uh, receipt that you get from the shop. So they print out this hour on two pizzas, they give you this thing, it's got a barcode on it, you scan off the barcode and it, and it, uh, and it, uh, and then you, uh, and then, and then only can you enter your credit card details. Whereas other ones, you, the other two, you can set up well in advance. But like Uber, you can set it up in yeah. advance. So when you need it, so it's there. and 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 I mean, the only reason I did actually set it up was because I got a twenty-five rand discount. <laughs> <laughs> Incentivizing <laughs> uptake. Yes, the wave of the uptake. future. <laughs> but uh, I mean, I just find that you paying over with a, with a smartphone using any of those systems is so much faster and so much easier than actually handing over your credit card. But I'm, I'm shocked that not everybody is using it and not, there's, there's not been a much faster adoption of, of the idea across the retail environment. I think, I think those companies are quite small. Um, FlickPay in particular, I know they're, they're, they're startups, so they're looking on some startup marketing budgets and I think to whatever degree hoping word of mouth will help them, 
help them spread the word. Snapscan is Standard Bank, if I'm yes. not mistaken. Yes. And yeah, that one that one should have a bit more marketing drive behind it, but I haven't actually seen as much as you think. And it is particularly good for for vendors because there's no um, limits on how much how many transactions you do. You can just sign up as a vendor, and yeah. if you're a flea market person, you can take credit card payments, which you wouldn't have been able to before. That is our time for this week on Stuff Central, on Cliff Central. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Billy, for coming in. Thank you, Sam, for sitting across the table and adding glamour to the, to the operations. Oh, baby. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you uh, want to get hold of uh, Cliff Central, you can get them on their WeChat account, which is Cliff Central, or the studio number, which is 0861-555-189. You won't get me, but whoever's next on air will be there. The, and I'm assuming that Toby will be back in the hot seat next week uh, and thank you all very much for listening